everyone. Before we start the show, we just wanted to let you know that there's a couple ways that you could get in touch with us. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So you can reach us via email at thursdayhouse1 at gmail.com or our very own website at thursdayhouse.com. There you can see our latest episodes, when they drop, and links to things we've talked about or um, lists. Who knows? We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram, MeWe, and Gab at Thursday House Podcast or on Parlor at Thursday House. Now on to the chaos. didn't give you enough of a no, it was like, warning. Right. I was like, oh, I'm hitting it. Okay. We need one of those old-timey, like, I don't even know if it's old-timey, like a red too. Or like the, the red, red light. light. Yes. Yes. I know. One of those. Absolutely. Oh, well. I like to catch you off guard. Anyway. Yeah, it's fun. It, it makes everyone feel like we just, <laughs> okay. they cut us in the middle of a, you know, conversation. You just happen to stumble upon us sitting around talking. There you go. Well, I'm really excited today because today, I mean, we started... We put our toes in the water of our fall um, extravaganza. I wish we had sound effects. I know. It would be fun. You've got to work on that. I know. Our fall extravaganza last week with um, some, you know, the pumpkin spice pretzels, blah, blah, blah. I mean, but we've done those before. Yeah, the popcorn popcorn was really, really, really good. It's delicious. So, but today we are taking it to a new level. Okay, except I didn't have the right glasses. I have wine glasses, so that's why well, they my... can't see it, so my you could have c- just pretended. I know, but my cinnamon stick is supposed to be, like, oh, so cute, hanging out the side that you can stir with and stuff like that, but it's just submerged at the bottom of the glass. So I decided to try something really, really fun, and I'm going to try to find the website where I found this, because um, I looked through a bunch of these, and I had to... I, you had to help me out, because I am living in the garage, and I could not make a simple syrup because I do not have a stove or an oven for, like, six months. So uh, all of you out there who are wondering what it's like to camp out for six months with your four <laughs> children and your husband, <laughs> let's just say cocktails are a must. Except you can't make simple syrup because you have to boil something. So anyway, we are making um, – what is the name of this thing? And I'm going to tell you the website, too. It goes on for forever, i got to say. Yeah, I mean, kudos to all you blog writers out there who put your heart and soul into every single blog post. I know. But sometimes? Sometimes just, I mean, I like the jump to the recipe button, but still. Okay, this is from Cake Knife. Cake and Knife? Cake Knife? Whatever. I'm not sure. Cake cake and Knife. So the it's it's C-A-K-E-N-K-N-I-F-E dot com. Cake and Knife. Okay. Um, posted by Megan Y. And this was posted in 2014, so Megan was ahead of her time, man. Yeah. Um, because you, I feel like these cocktails are becoming really cool now. I guess maybe they were cool in 2017, but um, I wasn't a cocktail girl back then. So this is called a bourbon pumpkin smash. Oh, wow. So here we go. Cheers. Right, cheers. It's so beautiful looking. I know. I, I did all the things. You like, normally me. I don't um, rim the glass. So the glass is rimmed in brown sugar Cinnamon, allspice, ground ginger. It's, it's, it's really pretty. Should I take my cinnamon stick out? 
I don't know. You're supposed to use it to like swirl with, but it's, oh. I don't think it'll bother anything. I don't think so. Um, like if I was like drinking it all day, maybe. So we made the pumpkin spice syrup as a simple syrup with pumpkin puree and pumpkin pie spice. And then we just added that simple syrup with bourbon and soda water and lemon juice and rimmed the glass. And I think it's delightful. It is um, better than any fall drink I've probably had. Ever. Better than a cider. It is. Better than pumpkin beer. Yeah, because it's super light. It is. Um, It's not too sweet, Mm -hmm. but it's, I mean, that ground ginger you can really taste just from the rim. So if you could do a thermos of this at like a sports event outdoors in the cold, it would like keep your toes warm. Oh, I'm sure that would be true too. Yeah. I like it cold, but I'm sure warm it would be great. No, I mean it would keep you warm. Oh. Like like cold on this. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking maybe you could warm it up too, but I don't you know. I don't know. You like mold cider. I'm not sure that I enjoy hot alcohol. Mm. I, okay, I have to tell a story since you went there. So when I was uh, a senior in college, I was one, I was, I already had my biology major, but I was one credit away from my chemistry major. And that one credit was PCHEM, physical chemistry. And um, I can't even tell you how unexcited I was about doing PCHEM. And I, I think I love physics and I love chemistry. So I like both of them better than biology, but I already had my biology major and I just didn't want to do it. So it was fall semester. I went into the I went into the school store to buy my PCHEM book and my PCHEM book was right next to a bunch of books for a 300 level English literature class. And I bought all the English literature books and I didn't buy my PCHEM book. something came over me and I went to my um, guidance, you know, professor and I asked him if he could get me out of PCAM and into this English lit class. And he's like, you're not going to get your chemistry major. And I was like, I don't care. Who cares? Who needs to double major? I don't care. I want to take this English lit class. And he's like, you've never taken an English lit class. This is a 300 level class. Okay. And it was, it was all of 300 level, 300 level. Um, I had to read a book every week and write an 11 page paper every single week. So I sat, I had this little balcony on my college um, apartment and I was so done with college at this point. I can't even tell you. I was so sick of fraternity parties and I want, I, I was already in med school. I was like going to med school. I just wanted to get the heck out of Dodge. I had no interest in college anymore. So I took this class and I literally sat out on my deck. It was fall in Missouri, so cold, mm-hmm. under a blanket with um, a radio playing classical music. And I would read these books every night and I would drink peppermint schnapps and apple cider, like hot peppermint schnapps and apple cider. Did you put the peppermint schnapps in the apple yes. cider? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. Not peppermint. Like cinnamon? Cinnamon. Okay. Because my brain was going, oh, oh, that's I awful. Mean, and maybe no. it works. No, 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 no. Cinnamon schnapps. Cinnamon. Oh, yeah. And apple, and apple cider. And I heated it up and I would sit there and I would just read for hours, like the entire semester. Because, again, I had a book a week and that's an 11-page paper. Lots <laughs> of books. Oh, my gosh. So I would read all night long and I would just listen to classical music and drink. So whenever somebody says, I, you know, hot alcohol or whatever, I think of that. And it was Is wonderful. that the time where people would yell to you, like, we're going to a party, and you're like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. 
And um, uh, one of my friends who was a senior too and went to medical school with me, he would make bets with the freshmen to see who could come get me to go, mm-hmm. knowing full well that they had no prayer. No prayer, no chance. So they would try all these things because they were like going to get out of chores or whatever. And I would be like, boys, n- no. Yeah, no, these no. are like eight, eight, 18-year-old <laughs> freshman boys. I'm like, you have no chance. Oh, honey. Bless mm-hmm. you. Bless your heart. Mm-hmm. Bless your heart. Anyway, okay. So that was an interesting story before yeah. we lead into our chapter on Augustine. <laughs> Actually, though, I have a feeling earlier in Augustine's life, he would have been out there like drinking um, cinnamon schnapps and apple cider with me. So there you go. Um, anyway, we are finishing. We have two more weeks. And actually, it's like two and a half weeks. Because today we're going to do two. And then next week, we're only going to do one. So we'll have time to talk about something else. we got to come up with a fun topic. But I have some yes. I have some in the cooker. There's like some, you know, twerking. Yes. So, okay. So tonight, today is, um, we're finishing up our, our, our summer book study of Devoted Great Men and Their Godly Moms by Tim Challies. And we are on Augustine and D.L. Moody. So we'll start with Augustine. Um, so I so I love this. It's really silly. So they, they'll start the chapter of the time and place like that this person lived. And this one was like uh, August 24th, uh, 354. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was really funny. Yes. It's like really long ago. Yes, it was very. I mean, this is he is the, considered by many to be kind of the the father of the early church. I mean, I, I don't, he wasn't, I mean, there were, there were people for 300 years before that, you know, like Peter and <laughs> Paul and stuff. But, but I mean, again, he was, you know, a very, very instrumental in the church, which I think is interesting because I just always assume that men like that, that end up being, you know, canonized. Um, we're, we're kind of always, it's kind of like the my, my version vision of Mother Mary, you know, who was see, always portrayed, you know, even in her in her youth as very holy, very um, uh, I mean, not sinless, obviously, but like someone that I, I would pale in comparison to, right. right? Someone so virtuous, someone you know, obviously, God chose her for a reason because of her virtue yeah, and her qualities right exactly and so i think the same thing about people like saint augustine of of, of hippo but i would be wrong <laughs> yeah so let's go through a little bit he was um born into a, a a family of respectable roman citizens um in north africa which would today be algeria and his father was Patricius, and he was a, they describe him as a pagan with a violent temper. Mm. And his mother, Monica, was a Christian of godly virtue. So I guess if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be a, a rambunctious youth, you have to have a a mother of, a Christian mother of godly virtue. So my children are, they are flat out of luck. <laughs> anyway, your children probably have a, a shot at it but um, my no. children not so much. Okay. so anyway um she was his first teacher and his first instructor in scripture and doctrine um he was one of three children but they say that he was the one that caused her the most grief he was rebellious 
He rejected both the faith and the ethics of his mother. Um, He was pretty hedonistic, uh, pursuing carnal pleasure and gleefully bragging of his conquests, both real and imagined. And this one was a liar. This (laughs) one up till the point when he was, yeah, exactly. Like a lot of men. men. (laughs) Up to the point when he was 19. And then he got into a relationship that his parents did not approve of with a Carthaginian woman. Carthaginian Carthaginian woman. There we go. It only took me three tries, people. It's got a lot of A's. Um, And uh, who they actually, they also had a son, um, these two. And he remained with her for 15 years. Okay. So 19 plus 15. So, you know. 24, 34. Mm-hmm. And um, then, um, then he kind of turned over a new I guess we don't really know what happened to the son or the girlfriend yeah um lady friend but he was eventually attracted back to Christian the Christian faith and in his early 30s I think this is really this really speaks to me okay because Mm -hmm. again like I think I hear about these people and I I think that they were probably always virtuous and I, I was very much a Christian child. I was very interested in the Christian faith. I, um, I had a conversion experience when I was probably seven or eight years old. Um, I was very interested in going to church. I, um, I, was, I was very invested in my relationship with God at a very early age. And then, man, what happened, like, from... 16 to 34 was just not, not, not where it needed to be. I mean, I, I just kind of embraced the world with both hands and went for a joy ride for like 15 years, you know? And so, um, I know. And I came back to it in my early thirties as well. Like I kind of like started, uh, I think meeting my husband who strangely enough was an atheist Um, but meeting him, I started really longing. Um, I was already kind of really missing my relationship with God, but meeting him and actually finding somebody who loved me for me and like kind of gave me a little bit of my self-worth back because I think part of that was, and I think a lot of young women go through this where you just kind of you kind of follow the world down a death spiral, and the farther you go down, the more you think you're not worthy of coming back up. I think more people than not. Yeah. Honestly. So he was the kind of the first person who like recognized worth in me, and when he could recognize worth in me, I think that part of me that was really, really craving a relationship with God um, felt like he, like God, wasn't going to reject me too, and so. So I think it was, it was kind of my early thirties where I started really kind of embracing that. And then when Nora was born, when my daughter was born, I was full all in on on really repairing that relationship with God. So, um, but in my early thirties, so I think a lot of people kind of take this road. It sounds very prodigal son like as well. So his mom had clearly like instilled in him as a child, as a young child, a Christian faith that he, you know, turned full against and then came back um he then he was um he then was baptized 
right before she died. Um, and he said, you know, they say she was comforted by the knowledge of both her son and her husband. Yeah, and they threw that in at the end because they don't really talk a lot, actually at all, about her husband, his father. You know, this is the second story in this book where they talk about that the mom's faith, the mom's Christian faith, not only eventually got a hold of her son, but also her atheistic or pagan husband, yeah. you know? and. And many times, uh, or in both stories, the husband was kind of abusive as well. Mm -hmm. I only say that because there was a discussion that I was reading on Twitter about this yesterday about um, women who are in these abusive relationships but are Christian women are trying trying to figure out what to do in that situation. And obviously... When you're talking about abusive relationships, there is a large spectrum, you yes. know, that goes all the way to physically, you know, dangerous situations. Right. And I don't, I don't know that they're, I'm not sure, but it doesn't sound like we were in that realm. Maybe no. just more drunk, abusive, you know, verbally, verbally abusive, abusive, you know, that kind of thing. But, but it does, it, when I was reading this Twitter thread, I was thinking, you know, of these two women who, re- who hung in there. And, you know, and they're eventually lived to see the conversion of their husbands as well as their children. Um, And I don't really have anything to say about that because Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't have any experience to draw from, from that. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a lay counselor and I wouldn't want to say something incorrect, but I just think it's interesting. I think that's very interesting. She um, probably didn't, probably didn't even think that was possible, but she... You know, managed to save two souls. Yes. Um, So, you know, he went on to, you know, become St. Augustine of Hippo. (laughs) He did some good stuff, I guess. Writing um, Confessions in City of God, which are still commonly read today. Um, And has, has literally, you know been important at every phase of the Christian church. Again, going back to the 300s, you know, which is a a pretty miraculous thing. I do think it was interesting because we, we started this whole series talking about headship and that we're trying to figure out how to teach our, our son's headship, even though we don't have that rule. There was a a couple of sentences in here where they said, imagine St. Augustine himself being instructed by a woman when he was a 33-year-old man. That is encouragement in itself for women of the church and especially mothers. And I think that's really true. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, it, it, it's part of the reason we took on this task was because we realized that we, if if not us, who? Right. You know? Absolutely. So I thought that was great. Um, did you have anything in this that? I didn't. And I didn't. I actually purposely didn't read the questions because I thought if you read some, then it would be like, oh, like, like fresh. I like think. I hadn't read them. Okay. All right. So I'll ask you. I did read them, but, um, but I think they're pretty, they're pretty interesting. If you have a child who's rebelling against God, and again, my kids are too young for this. And I don't know that I would consider your kids as being re- rebelling against God, but um, what, what does a guest, I mean, you know, I, I didn't, wouldn't say like, well, I'm not sure about your, I was just saying, I, I'm not, I don't talk to them as much about their <laughs> belief in God. Um, if you have a child who's rebelling against God, what does Augustine and Monica's story show you about the power of Christ to change everything? 
well, one, <laughs> not to be cliche, but like it's in his time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You may absolutely. have to just wait until they're adults. Yes. But like, you know, don't give up. You might be praying, you know, your kneecaps off when they're in their teen years, but it may take a long time to get them to be where you want them to be mm-hmm. spiritually. And I will say a lot of, I think a lot of the theme in this book is that those seeds that you plant early on, they will come back to them. I remember when I was kind of in one of my lower, you know, lower troughs, I guess, of life, a friend said to me, like, when do you last, when do you last remember feeling happy? And I went back and I thought about my family, like my, my primary family, my mom and my dad and my sister and being a family in a much simpler time, but also a time when God was still really important in my life. And I, and, and, and I said at the time um, that I was talking to this friend, he was Mormon and he didn't invite me to his church or anything like that. He just simply said to me, he said, if that's what you remember, then why don't you just go back to church? Like it's that simple. It's like that simple. It is that simple. simple. And it was so simple. And I remember being like, why don't I just go back to church? I mean, I tried everything else. Right? Like, And it was, and when I went back to church, it was there. It it was still there. It just had been covered up in years of crap. Right. You know? So anyway, um, do you feel close to giving up on one of your kids? How are you encouraged by Monica's example? Uh, No. Yeah, no, I mean, I th- again, I think some of this is we don't have 33-year-old children. No. So, But I think there are people who are listening who who have you who know, do have this. Who have already left the nest and, you know, you're thinking and praying about them all the time, but they don't live with you. Um, and you don't like their life choices. I imagine that gets really uh, exhausting very quickly. Oh, yeah. Like, I can, too. I know there's a lot of parents that, you know, how do you – how do you – so much of our society right now is has entangled love with affirmation, you know, which those two things are, are, are don't at all go together. Love and affirmation do not at all go together. In fact, you know, sometimes they're diabolically opposed, you oh, know. Yeah. I'm not going to affirm my child's desire to run into the street when cars are coming, like, because I love them, right? right. So, um I think that our society has so in, entangled love with affirmation that especially when you have older children and they're doing things that you don't approve of, it's very difficult for parents to say, I love you. I don't affirm this, no. but I love you anyway. And God loves you and I'm praying for you, but I, I don't want to, I don't want you to confuse my love for you with my affirmation of the sin that I think that you're bringing into your life. No, I don't have to accept your choices. I mm-hmm. love you. I don't like your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest, the other two of these are also kind of for adult children. So maybe we'll just skip ahead, but well, the last one says, is there an, an area of your kid's life where you need to start preserving, persevering in prayer beginning today? And I think that we could probably that do. could be for anyone. I mean, yes, this book is specifically about children, but any people in our life, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's areas that, you know, could use our prayer. I have really started praying um, because of this book more actively for my kids' salvation. But also oh, yeah. I have 
started praying for, you know, things I know are going to be stumbling blocks for them. You know, areas of their life where I know they're going to falter. That are going to be difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, just based on, you know, their personality and stuff like that. Think they're, they're, they're not good habits. No, and one of the really great things about spending so much time with your children, the boy children and the girl children, is that you're able to see these things. Now, obviously people who, you know, I send my kids to school all day long, and unfortunately I'm not going to know as much about them as I do my daughter. Um, but that's just one of the huge benefits of homeschooling your kids is, you know, good or bad or whatever you want to call it, you know those things about their personality. It's true. And where, where that's going to go, whether it's good or bad. And also, I mean, I think for people who don't spend as much time with their kids, it's just, it makes the time that you do spend with them, you know, instead of just, instead of just, and I, and I, I was going to say, instead of just watching a ball game, watching a ball game is a great thing to do with a kid, but then you, it, you get to talk to them about like, you know, while you're sitting there watching a ball game, because they're not going to sit down with you and be Let's talk about your spiritual life. But if you're sitting there watching a ball game and all of a sudden you can be like asking them, you know, how's school? How, but not just how school, how are, how are your friends? What are you, you know, you have to, something I have learned as, as my kids have gotten older is you have to phrase your questions very carefully mm-hmm. because if just like my parents ask me every day, how was school? It's fine. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You have to. So I, I try to come up with more probing questions like, what was your day like? Mm-hmm. You can't just give me. And then I also let my kids know that a one-word answer isn't going to get me to stop asking you. Yeah. Like, I want to hear a detail. Mm-hmm. What was the weirdest thing you saw today? Mm-hmm. What was the hardest thing that you saw today? Like, things that get more than a one-word answer. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe with boys it's different and they just don't want to get girls probably maybe um, talk a little bit more about their day. Yeah. I I really, I have to pull those questions out of them. I think girls talk about things they want to talk about and they, and so it makes it seem like, it makes it seem like they are more open and that they're more talkative. But they're just choosing. But they're way more secretive in in a lot of ways too. So the things they don't want to talk about, they're going to, they're going to bury. Bury that down. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever talked to my parents about anything that ever happened in school. Right. And and some like bad things happened to me in school. I was really bullied a couple of times, like very, very bad things happened. And, um, I would never tell my parents Mm -mm. they, I would have been afraid that they would have done something about it. Right. Oh my gosh. Talk to you about it. Talk to your friends about it. Yeah. Uh. Um, or that they would blame me for it. I mean, I was, and this is not a reflection because my mother occasionally listens to our podcast. This is not a reflection on my mother. This no. was just, these are, these, I think these are thoughts all kids have, that this is how their parents will react regardless of how their parents actually would have reacted. I don't think, Gigi, I don't think Gigi would have reacted like that in any way. I think she would have been, I think she would have, I'm, my mother has countless times when I have presented her with very difficult scenarios in my life done, said the exact right, perfect, wonderful thing. Um, but it's just, you, 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 you think you're like you're creating teenage, yeah. a scenario in your head of what could possibly happen. Correct. I never shared things with my parents growing up and it wasn't that they weren't good parents. I just didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately my kids are kind of like that too. I think a lot of kids are, again, I think they, you know, that's why you have to, 
you have to keep going. You have to keep trying. You have to keep, keep looking, look mm-hmm. between the lines and ask, just be careful with the questions that you ask. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So our next one was very different. Um, it was the, it's chapter 10, the impact of a hardworking mother. Um, and it's about DL Moody. And, and while, Augustine grew up as a, you know, in a respected Roman family. Um, Dwight Moody grew up in abject poverty and received only a meager education. I thought this was the interesting part about it. Okay. I I think I really like this story. Yeah. Because a lot of the other, we've had in this book, a wide range of socioeconomics, right? But every one in almost every one of those stories, (coughs) the mother was the teacher and was really, um, very, uh, dedicated to their child's education. And those are probably the only similarities between all the stories, honestly, Mm -hmm. except that this one, um, it's, it, it seems like they're, you know, they kind of point to several times where there was a lot more of getting through the day mm-hmm. than there was, like, really concentrating on education. So he was born in, Dwight Lyman Moody was born in Northfield, Massachusetts on February 5th, 1837. And he was the sixth of nine children uh, born to Edwin and Betsy. And the, and these these were Puritan um, you know, people who whose ancestors came up over on the Mayflower. They were, um, they arrived in a well, May, not on the Mayflower. I was being, I was joking, but like very early settlers. They right. came, they came to America around 1633. They settled in Massachusetts. Betsy was a descendant of one of the town's founders and a member of one of its stalwart families. And Edmund was a, Edwin was a successful Mason. Um, but he became an alcoholic and kind of blew all their money. So, um, and then he died. So that was great. Dwight was four at the time and he already had, what had, uh, was a brother to six siblings. So, and his mother was pregnant and then gave birth to twins. So she was a, you know, a single mother with nine children, all under the age of four, 14, no husband, and in massive debt. So, and I thought this was interesting. So they said that when he died, um, creditors descended upon the house and took every last item the law law allowed. (laughs) All the way to the firewood stacked in the shed. But this is interesting. As she keeps paying it off, they keep coming back and taking more. It's like they took as much as they could at the time, but then when she would get a little bit of money, they would come back and uh-huh. take more of it. Like wolves. Um, she was offered um, help, and her family did help her, um, but she, her family kept trying to get her to give the kids up, split up the kids. It would be easier to care for them if someone went to this relative, someone to that relative. Yeah, and that that was the one thing she absolutely refused to do. And so she lived in a tiny little house. Um, and they, she said that she taught her children from the only books in the house, which was a Bible, a catechism and a small devotional. So again, not a lot of education. Mm -hmm. And then by necessity, she, um, she worked her land. She plowed the crops. She planned the crops. She did work for nearby families. She made her kids clothes. She spun yarn and weaved cloth. 
I mean, she did all these things, but they said she always maintained a sunny disposition in front of her children, even while crying herself to sleep at night. I mean, I just, she, you know, clearly. This story made me tired. Like It really that. made me tired. But I thought the best, I, there were two, there were two parts of this story that really stuck out to me. One was that she lived in this house. So like, even as, as she got more wealth, as she, you know, got older, and as her children got more wealth and would send her home money and stuff like that, she never left this house. No. She lived in this house till she was 90. Oh, it's her happy place. Mm-hmm. And that she would, they would all, would they, that she lived up on this house on a hill and she would burn a candle in the window. And they, all the kids, whenever they would come home, they would have to like walk back up to the house with the light burning in the window. And they could not wait to get no, home. No, they were like on the train, like excited to go see her. And that was really her happy place. So that tells you that even though in those times where it was so incredibly hard, I mean, she's making her own cloth. She planted a vineyard. I know. So those were, I mean, those were happy times for her. Yeah. Being being with her children. Maybe not all the other circumstances. but And, you know, I mean, I think there's a lesson for us in this in that I love just being with my kids. It's when um, everything gets crazy. When there's, like, baseball practice and soccer games and I got to go to the grocery store and I have to pick up the dry clean. That's when I don't like being with my kids because they're loud or they're in my way or they're whatever. And, and that is not my kid's fault. My kids are being kids. I have stacked, tried to stack too much into the day and I would be happier and they would be happier if we all just slowed down and just spend time together doing nothing, nothing in particular, whatever weird thing that they want to do. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was one really beautiful, like visual. The other one was, even though they were very poor, that she always was giving things to the needy. And he remembers this one time when a poor woman came to the house and was hungry. And she said, she asked, they only had a half a loaf of bread left. And she, for all of them. And she asked the kids if she could cut their slices a little thinner to give it to this other person. And we all voted for her to do it. I mean, I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. I don't know that I have those children. I don't, I do. I know your children and I I think you do. Um, I don't know. When it comes to food, everybody gets a little weird. Um, the rest of this, it goes on about his life, but, and how much she affected him. And that, I mean, he, they go on for forever talking about all the things that he said about her at, at her, um, at her funeral. And he became like a, 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 a world renowned ev- evangelist. But one of the things that I thought, um, was interesting was when the, the mother's reflection, when it said, would I give my own children less so I could share with a stranger? Or would I refuse to trust God with my kids and send the stranger on her way? That, that literally just like landed on me like a rock on my chest because it's, it makes it a different, the, the question I would have asked is, would I have given up something for someone else? Would I have given my children's food away? Because right. we all sacrifice for ourselves. Correct. But would you sacrifice what your children have for someone else? Right. Not 
Do you trust God enough to take care of your children to allow you? <laughs> when you throw that, when you when you create that second sentence, yeah, it's very convicting. It is very convicting. Yes. Would you allow your children to have less if someone else could have something? Yes. But God said it. Yeah. Like oh. Okay. So anyway, I thought those two stories, I mean, there's a lot more in here. And if you want to know a lot more, like definitely read it. But um, those two stories really stuck out to me. Did you? I I just really enjoyed Betsy and her willingness to keep her family together. Mm -hmm. To her, that's what's what that's what was important. And clearly it had payoff. Yes. In the story, I think it said all the kids, maybe not just. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but all mm-hmm. the kids would look for her burning her candle in the window when they yeah. were coming home to see her. Yeah. And so I don't know if you can remain thankful and have a sunny disposition when you are in the face of abject poverty. I don't know. I think you're doing something right. I'm going to say something controversial. I think um, what we're learning in our society right now is that sometimes it's easier to do it under those circumstances. That you're grateful for things when you have few things. When when things are just so easy to come by. When comfort is so readily available. Sometimes it's very hard to remember, you know, gratitude. Sometimes it's very hard to concentrate on on what's important when you are surrounded by so many things. I mean, think about how popular gratitude journals are because we can't just remember to be grateful. We have to, like, at the end of the day, write it down. Like, yes. Well, how about the fact that if you... If you ask my kids, hey, will you give up a little bit of your food to feed this poor person? They'd say yes. You know why? They've never been hungry. <laughs> Ever. Ever. So, like, yeah, they so they take a little less this meal. They know dinner's coming in, like, four hours, it's right? It's not like, This well, is our last half is, loaf of bread. This is our only meal for the day, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, and that, that sacrifice, I think, creates so much deeper character. Absolutely. And I think part of the problem that we're experiencing right now as a society is that we don't have that no, we have depth of much. character because we've never had to make those choices. No. And kids are so depressed. They have too many choices and they've never had things to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Not all kids. Most kids. Mm-hmm. There are kids who are very poor and face those circumstances every day. Yes. But those aren't our kids, so I can't really speak on that. I was going to, this reminds me of a great, the theologian Miranda Lambert. (laughs) The great country theologian. The great country theologian Miranda Lambert wrote a song called Automatic that I love. And in the verse, or in the chorus, she says, um, it's only worth as much as the time put in. She says, hey, whatever happened to waiting your turn, doing it all by hand, because when everything's handed to you, it's only worth as much as the time put in. Mm. Right? I know. It's pretty good. It is. It's one of my favorite songs because it's really, well, first of all, she drove to Dallas to buy an Easter dress. And I remember doing that. So (laughs) I like that too. But 
But um, <laughs> you have a personal connection. Um, but yes. But I mean, yeah, because when everything's handed to you, it's only worth as much as the time put in. In other words, you know, my kids do this all the time. They break something, they lose something, and they're like, oh, well, whatever. And I'm like, because you didn't have to earn that. No. Versus like my son has this one water gun. Like he's lost every other pool toy he has. <laughs> There's this one water gun that he paid for and he bought. And man, we still have that thing. Yeah. He makes sure every time we leave the pool, we still have that one. Yes. So, yes. I mean, it's very true. It's sort of cute. That's <laughs> kind of funny. But anyway. It's true. It's yeah, thing. no, I agree. I mean, I think that's what maybe um, I've had to tell myself this. You tell me what you think. There are times that for the sake of my children, I've said no. I have I have the money. I could buy it. It's no skin off my nose. But for the sake of my children, I'm like, what am I teaching them here? It's Tuesday. It's not their birthday. It's not Christmas. It's no. not anything. They just want it. They just wanted it. And I, you are very good about that. And that's really good for me because I always see stuff and I'm like, I will buy your kids stuff all the time. But, but you guys are very like, you know what? They didn't earn it and it's not a holiday. So can you just wait? Yeah. And I love that. I think it's great. I mean, my, my daughter is turning three, um, and Four days, days, three days. days. I don't know what day it is. So, see, I didn't either. Three days. Um, and I bought her a birthday present six months ago because I liked it and I wanted it, and so I bought it. And my daughter bought her a birthday present a month ago, and everyone in my family is like, "Can we just give it to her?" And I'm like, "No, no, no," because then, because then, what's going to happen on her birthday? You're going to be like, "We don't have any presents for her. We need to go out and buy presents for her." I'm like, <laughs> "We have them." They're there. She will like it just as much yes. in three you days. You just don't want to wait. You don't want to wait. It's not about her. That's it's right. It's not about her. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm totally okay with this because I don't, I, I, I buy things for myself only on holidays too. There are lots of things I would love to buy all the time. Yeah. I buy myself stuff all the time. Well, but, no, not really. I mean, supplements don't really count. Right? No, no, no. It's no. not stuff. No, no. I mean like presents, like big Clothing things. or like, you know. Yes, yeah, some something yeah. big. I mean, like I, you know, I buy myself if I need a new, you know, and and shoes. And yeah, I was gonna, yeah, gonna say like if my shoes break, which my sandals usually do, like right about now every year, my sandal finally like blows out and I have to buy a new one. I just got on a side note, I got new shoes that look just like my old shoes. Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice nope. that those were new. Nope, they're Birkenstock knockoffs. Oh, there you go. I love them, and they were half the price. Oh, there you go. I'm very happy. I know. I like my knockoff Uggs. What are my... Bear bear paw. Bear paw. I love them. They're fantastic. I do. But no, but like if I'm going to buy something nice for myself, then I will wait till it's my birthday or or my anniversary or something like that. I think you're pretty good at delayed gratification. Well, 10 years in medical school. (laughs) We'll do that to you. (laughs) Medical school, residency, fellowship. There's a lot of delayed gratification that goes along with that lifestyle. I had a friend who said that graduate school, which I know is not quite medical school, graduate school is like putting the alarm, put it, pushing the snooze button on life. Yeah. I Okay. I, I think it's, yes. I'm not going to say what I think about that. <laughs> when I was in medical school and residency, I was working 100 hours a week and I delivered my first baby when I was 22 years old. Graduate school is hitting the snooze bar on life. 
it's like, but it's doing it while you're like, you know, no. wearing a backpack <laughs> and wearing blue jeans and like working like 30 hours a week reading like Foucault or something right? like that. It's like, it's like work, a work holiday right. in Hawaii. <laughs> my, um, my job now, um, is I work about 60 hours less a week than I worked when I was in residency and fellowship. So, you know, I'm kind of going, not quite the same no, thing. But, but I mean, that post-college, um, you know, what do they call it, the four years, anything beyond that is, is hard. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean. There's hard and there's harder. There's hard and there's harder, I guess, I yeah. That. I do remember being like, I do remember being in medical school and my friends were like getting married and having kids. And I was like, I'm still going to school every day with a backpack. But again, it was medical school. So like at at medical school, then I would put my backpack in my locker and change into scrubs and then go like take care of patients. So it was completely different. It's like school, but like people could die. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever gone to school and you're responsible for not killing people? For not killing people. Is that what happened? Nope. You know, the one group of people that I never give crap to about, like, graduate school people, there's just no limit to the amount of crap that I can give right. them, right? right. The one papers. group I never give crap to are people who, like, left high school or left college and went into the military. Right. I'm like, you win. Nope. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Nope. You're you win. Winner. You win. Winner, 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 winner. Anyway. All right, so, okay, we do, okay, we started our fall extravaganza. I loved my drink. I know, I feel like you should have more drink now. See, this is, this is the, our, um, the juxtaposition of our personalities. Well, this I is bourbon. Of, you gotta drink it slower. I did drink it slower. I just finished I mean, it just now. Okay. Like, at, at minute 39, I finished it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But, but I liked it, because you spend a lot of time talking, which is good. But then you don't get to drink as much. That's true. That's true. That's why, like, okay, every every time I go to a, a, a party, a dance, a wedding, something like, something of that, where there is a DJ and dancing mm-hmm. kind of event, everyone I know gets just loaded. I ha- end up having, like, one beer because you cannot drink and dance at the same time. No, it's very hard. No. I mean, I've never done it because I don't dance. But I, I mean, how are you going to work? No, the next day, I feel like I ran a marathon. Like my calves hurt and my core hurts because I danced for hours in like four inch heels. So it's really di- very difficult. Yeah. But I, but I never have a hangover. It's beautiful. That's a really good, that's a good setup. Uh-huh. Versus like if I go to a dinner party. I well, that's if you're sitting, sitting there or just standing for hours and talking. Okay. All right, I have a thing to go with the thing. But you're supposed to still have drink. Well, I didn't. I didn't. No one told me. Ooh. It looks sort of like a a Dorito. It is a pumpkin-flavored tortilla chip. Mm. What do you think? I like it. It's a pumpkin tortilla chip. But I thought it was going to be really savory. Um, it's not savory and it's not sweet. It's got cinnamon and sugar, but not like a lot. No, not a lot. No, it's like not a, bad. Like those Stacy's pitas we had, with uh-huh. the cinnamon, those are delicious. They are, they're but really they're super sweet. sweet. This is not. It's very pumpkin-y flavored. I like the chip. It's not a thin chip. I like no. a little weight to it. It's very thick I think chip. it would be, even though it has cinnamon and sugar, I think it would be awesome with a salsa mm. or a guacamole. 
But like, or even like a peach salsa or something like that. A peach salsa or guacamole, I think. Would be amazing. I think that'd be really good. Mm-hmm. So. Where are these from? Sam's. Good old Sam's. Numbers mark. Limited time offering. Pumpkin flavored tortilla chips. So made with real pumpkin and gluten free. Oh, thank goodness. So, um, and I have a humongous bag of them. It does have. Don't say it. Like a million seed oils. Oh. Okay. Well, it's nice knowing you. I know. Well, I had to get something pumpkin-y. No, it's so, really good. Um, we are gonna. You are you are big into right now the fermented foods, mm-hmm. yes. And I have become obsessed with these people on Twitter. <laughs> these anti-seed oil people. These anti-seed oil people. And especially this one doctor who has now written a book about how evil seed oils are. Yeah. I've written several, read several of her articles. So I'm going to get her book. Yeah. And figure out how evil seed oils are. I actually asked somebody on Twitter yesterday. I said, the one thing I still haven't been able to find that have no seed oils is chips that have no seed oils. And... They responded to me on Twitter and sent oh. me chips that have no seed oils in them. When did they tell you? Um, let me open up my Twitter and I'll tell you. Uh, siete? Um, no. They have um, oils? Uh, no, they, but this is just the one. Oh, yeah. Boulder Canyon they have, have the seed oils? Avocado oil, classic sea salt, kettle-style potato chips. They look amazing. They, I'm pretty sure they have those at Kroger. I mean, they look really good. Okay, so um, those are apparently seed oil free. Okay. Good. Um, the other thing is I ordered a book about regenerative farming mm. that I also think would be interesting. Who was and, it by? Um, I'm sorry. Um, I can't remember. I will tell you. Somebody that everyone in, in the – he's like the god of regenerative farming, oh, so okay. I will tell you later on. But because everybody was like, oh, yeah, his book, of course, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, I think it's going to be a fun fall because I think we're going to get really into some nutrition. Oh, yeah. Do you want to know what I just bought? What? Cod liver oil. Oh, my gosh. The 1950s cod. I know. So as a kid who grew up in the 80s, all the cartoons, all of the movies, all the TV shows, cod liver oil was the most disgusting substance you could ever put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. They're not wrong. No, it's awful. No, it tastes like, uh, I, I can't, it tastes like eating, sucking on a de- old dead fish. Oh, yeah, it's awful. Gross. I made my kids take it, too. Um, I also started taking um, trace minerals, which is like concentrated, you know, stuff from the salt beds of Utah. So it's got like magnesium and potassium, but it's really concentrated. Mm-hmm. And so the recommended dose is about one point, is about one ml. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd be cute and just take a, you know, kid's Tylenol syringe and just shoot it past my taste buds and I shot it into my throat. It burned so bad. <laughs> I couldn't talk oh, for no. 15 minutes. Brett thought I had strep throat because I was like, I like this. It was so bad. It was disgusting. And But they recommend that you just do 10 drops at a time to work up to it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was disgusting. I, the things that, I mean, I, here I sit and I'm doing all these things, trying to get into better shape, blah, 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 trying to get healthier. And they're like, 
they're like a one on a, on a scale of one to 10 of like extreme things. And then, and you and I don't talk for, I mean, we talk every day, but, yeah, but we don't have time to just talk. No, not often anymore. We used to, but now that my kids are in school and your kids and my kids are in school. And I mean, there's a lot of school during the day. A lot of school. And so we don't get a lot of time to talk. So every time we do talk and then all of a sudden you tell me all the like, like Gross things, <laughs> eight or nine scale, um, crazy things that you're doing. I'm just like, but no, I re- so I grew up in Dallas, Texas, but then also in the Midwest. And um, when I moved to Georgia, like I had never heard of um, BC powder. Uh, so all my old, all my old patients were on BC powder and cod liver oil and all this stuff. And I was like, I have moved to the moon. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> it's another planet. Oh, this one guy, like, the colloidal silver. See, I heard that that's not actually good for you. I don't know. He was blue. He came in and it looked like Papa Smurf. Okay. But a lot of people swear by it. The mental imagery that just... Oh, yeah. He had the white beard. He looked like Papa Smurf. Oh, my gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and then I had the lady with keratinemia who was orange. Uh So, like, I mean, that was a crazy time when I moved to Georgia. What a circus. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I didn't know. So I'm trying to learn all these things now because I was just taught the med school medicine. And I'm starting to, like, have some doubts about the med school medicine <laughs> I was taught. So and then the last two years have been very interesting. They've been very enlightening. Uh-huh. So anyway, all right. So this fall, I, I don't know if our listeners – will be that interested in regenerative farming, except I think it I think it will help if you're even if you're gardening, because it's really all about really getting a good soil quality. Mm-hmm. And we can so, talk about till versus no till. There's a big no till contingent of people out there. I am aware and I don't know the arguments for or against either. and I don't know if that's part of regenerative we, farming. We till but we have, our garden every year and now I'm like, oh did I do something I have thought about it before. Good. And then I got busy and I didn't continue. Some but. people are like, just mix the soil with a fork. And then where I have a giant rototiller that my husband comes out and does the whole bed for me. Well, I know. Head. And also, like, I have I have a big garden. Like, how long? <laughs> I'm going to fluff it with a fork. <laughs> that would be hard. You'd be there for a while. Anyway. All right. So we'll get into this. So we've got one more chapter. In our book. On Timothy. And then we're going to do something fun at the end tomorrow, next week. And you are going to bring something for fall extravaganza. I will. Yes. I will. Yes. And I then, um, and then we'll get into, we'll get into the whole, we're going to, we're going to delve into this nutrition world. Yeah, let's do this. Maybe you could try some cod liver oil. No. Okay. Just try. Nine. Nope. Nine. No. No. See, that's, that's my, <laughs> <laughs> I have to find I have to find these things that I can actually yes. tolerate. It has to be sustainable yes. for yourself. Correct. Or I won't. What I, about the beet sauerkraut? Uh-uh. No. It has carrots, too. I hate carrots and beets. And sa- oh, I love sauerkraut. Cabbage. Red cabbage. It's probably mostly red cabbage. Does it taste awful? I don't know. I put it in my smoothies. I, that's, I, gotta, I, I can't I even have, imagine this. Maybe I have to, like, taste it by itself. All right. Okay. All right. I think we've... Every, the people who didn't... To make her speechless <laughs> is, like, a 
personal satisfaction for me. Just, like, <laughs> I wonder if anyone is listening anymore with the beet sauerkraut smoothies. I think we're... This okay. was not my idea. I saw this on the internet. Okay. And it was a big thing. Well, hey, if it was on the internet, it has, to has to be good. All right. It was great um, being here with you guys today, and we'll see you next week. Happy fall, y'all. Bye.